I will jump off the sidewalk. Um. All right, everybody. Hello, internet peeps. Welcome to episode 189 of Big Trouble Little Podcast. And if you're watching this live on the tubes of you, uh, you'll see a new logo. It's all purple. It's just in time for the Hall of Fame since Undertaker is being inducted. It kind of looks like an Undertaker logo with all the purple that we have. Or if you're into um, Prince, um, Purple Rain. All that yeah, stuff. purple always makes me think about Prince, and then secondary, secondarily, it makes me think about Waluigi. Yes, and and third, probably Undertaker at some point. Sure. And what else? Oh, Barney, the dinosaur. Uh, okay, I'm getting retarded now. Anyway, Thanos, Shredder, Thanos. Shredder. <laughs> yeah. Um, Grimace, don't forget him. Biggest villain of them all. Yeah. Fucking stealing hamburgers and shit with the the hamburglar. Grimace didn't steal hamburgers. Uh, just go with it. <laughs> no, you gotta do your McDonald's war. <laughs> He's just a poor, obese, purple scapegoat. <laughs> he was made to promote the McNuggets. I don't, know. I don't even know if that's true. He's just McNugget shaped. Yeah, he is a chicken. Nugget. No, no, no. He was, he was, a. Uh... no, he was like upset. He was like uh, Grimace, get it, the name. He was like upset, and McDonald's, uh, Ronald McDonald, and I think the the little fry people, the little fry guys, I think they made him happy with the power of a McDonald's uh, meal. Little little dwarf fries, excuse me. Oh. I don't know, I'm trying to make a dwarf joke. It didn't. I, I think we need to retcon the grimace thing and pitch this to McDonald's. Go in a whole different direction, like. Yes, children eat part of my body. And it's actually that the nuggets are made of Grimace. Ooh. Listen, kids are in a weird shit nowadays. I, I, I'd eat it. As long as they sell it with Szechuan sauce. Yeah, people are always like, don't you know what nuggets are made out of? How can you eat them? Like, yeah, I'm 100% aware of what they're made out of. They still taste good, and I'm still going to eat them. It's like when people said about the McRib, they're like, you know you're eating styrofoam. I'm like, the styrofoam fucking tastes good as fuck i don't yeah. care if it hurts my it like insides it makes me die i will eat 20 million mcribs don't care so good sauce all over my face it's great and every time the mcrib comes around i gotta have the same argument with all the same fucking people that's disgusting yeah i know well how can you eat it i, I like it fuck you don't eat them i don't care <laughs> like it, people think you need to be a zealot just because you like something no i just like the mcrib you know what you tell those people how about you get that cocaine out of your nose huh you think that's good for you, bitch? Why don't you get the stick out of your ass and let me enjoy things, you bitch? <laughs> what you say? Exactly. Anyway, before we get into uh, Pierce Brosnan, uh, I got it right this time. Uh, James Bond, we're going to be doing Tomorrow Never Dies, how Steve Jobs wants to kill the world or do... Do create news himself. He's kind of like Nightcrawler with Jake Gyllenhaal, just in a bigger scale with like World War Three involved. Um, anyway, before we get into that, guys, what the hell you been watching, playing, or doing? I'm gonna go with Chaz. What what have you been playing, watching, or doing? I'm still so deep in the lands between. I'm, I'm playing Elden Ring like nonstop. I have no fucking clue how close I am to in beginning anything i just keep going into things and dying and until i don't die i'm really I, jealous about when people play a brand new game like that because there is like a mystery 
like who knows i might be near the end i might not be i know that someone beat it in less than half an hour but human beings on the other hand are like you know they're experiencing something new it's fun oh yeah yeah don't remind me about that like 30 minute speed run i'm I'm like almost 50 hours into this game and i think i might be halfway but i've also intentionally made like a pact with a, a friend of mine neither of us we are playing this game completely blind we are not looking up anything we are just leaving it as it is. I can I can do a, a power run later, but I am discovering everything and, and finding out that I forgot things at the beginning of the game um, until much later. So uh, it's been a blast so far, though. That's But it's just the same thing. I'm probably going to be on it the next four or five times you ask me. Like, I'm still just pushing through. Eventually, I'll, I'll be done and I'll move on to something. But uh, aside from, from that, I've uh, been, uh, you know, of course, catching up on, on some of the wrestling uh, over the last couple of days, because of some of the, the news we'll get to later, I've been catching up on on some some matches from uh, one of our legends, which we're going to miss, and Scott Hall. Um, aside from that, uh, nothing else. Uh, oh, I've been listening to uh, a band more and more frequently. It's been a little while, um, but more recently I started listening to some of their older stuff. It's a band called Spirit Box, which I uh, kind of like their stuff. They're somewhat like a metalcore band, but... Uh, the vocalist is female and it kind of hits some of that more like I, I'm trying to think of a way to almost like battle oriented like epic vocals uh, in, in the choruses so I've enjoyed that it's good to listen to especially when I'm running through dungeons so nice Zach what about you uh, I have been playing WWE 2K22 since I got it Friday okay um, gameplay's better uh, it's faster paced which is good. Um, I spent a lot more time in the creation suite though than anything, which I, I knew what was is what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And it's like take a step forward, take a step back, kind of a thing. Which I understand why there were some concessions made. Like you can't adjust people's like body type and size like more intricately anymore. It's like it's more like there's just straight templates, and you just kind of have to go with it. Um, I think that had something to do with like how poorly optimized the, the previous engine was. That's why it would take forever to fucking load. Like this game loads pretty fast, actually, compared to like the last one I played, and it, which wasn't two K twenty. The last one I got was two K nineteen. Um. Uh, but yeah, I don't have much else to say yet, other than this is probably gonna be the first time I play the showcase mode because there's there's wrestlers trapped in it that you have to unlock that you can't get any other way yeah like see a punk fucking jbl and all that stuff not seeing punk but <laughs> uh like uh eddie guerrero i, I was like I, I i got the supercharger thing because it's just five dollars whatever and and unlocks everything and uh i was like where the fuck is Shawn michaels why isn't he unlocked he's like been in every wwe game forever he's stuck in the showcase mode Mm. Uh, and I'm like, okay, I guess I'm gonna have to play this because there's like a, Eddie Guerrero's not in it, and I knew he was in the game. He wasn't anywhere to be found. Batista, that's another one. Um, but yeah, also I uh, I got I beat Ricochet with Razor Ramon for the Intercontinental Championship because I felt like that was right the right thing to do. <laughs> so I did that last night. Um, other than that, I I watched uh, Encanto. Um, that was pretty good. Uh, breaks 
certain you could say it certainly breaks some of the the Disney formulae. Uh, that one does. And um, that's all I got for now. All right. Yeah, I've watched that movie exactly one time, and but yet I know most of the words to all of the songs. It's the oh. the blessings of having a three year old. I can't remember. Yeah. Is that the one about the magic family in Columbia or whatever? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. watched that. It was it's the cool. one about building a wall and the benefits of building said wall. <laughs> Wait, what? I don't remember any walls. Um, <laughs> They kept, yeah, they, it's a metaphorical wall. They built a metaphorical wall to keep all the, the trash out that was outside. <laughs> and, like, yeah. Disney's based, what, huh? The fuck? Did you watch the ending of the movie? It had something to do about breaking those walls down. Uh, you may have Jericho? missed that last act. No, that, that was a whole other set of walls. It was a, a whole set of walls created within their family by their, their matriarch. There was no villain in the movie except the grandma. So... <laughs> so and familial misunderstandings and, and shit. There, uh, there it is. I thought it was a really good movie. That being said, the music is fucking catchy. It's very like, catchy. Yeah, it's yeah, stupid. We don't talk about Bruno song has been everywhere. <laughs> I didn't even think it was the catchiest song in the movie, but whatever. What do I know? Oh, is that the? It's not. Uh, I like. I like some of the other songs better, but yeah. We don't yeah, have to same. talk about Bruno. No, no, that yeah, song. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if all the music or just some of the music was written by that Lin Manuel Miranda guy, the guy who did Hamilton. So I think that's part of why it's so catchy and good. Hmm. I think all, all of it's written. Like Is I, it I listen to, I listen to the soundtrack a lot. Like Evie listens to it. I think on a regular basis, like at least two, three times a day. Mm-hmm. And every time they announce the entire soundtrack, they they announce him as the the artist. I knew he did at least most of it, if not all of it. It's just, yeah, because his name is very prominently featured in, like, the marketing and stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. Andy, what about you? What the hell have you been watching, playing, or doing? Uh, I found the time to watch one movie. So I got on the Criterion channel, and I just watched the first thing that looked interesting because I didn't have a lot of time to decide. Uh, it was it ended up being a documentary that they just put out recently. I mean, obviously, the movie's older. It's from the 90s, but Criterion just re-released it called When We Were Kings. It's about the fight between Muhammad Ali and George Foreman in the 70s that they held in Zaire, in, in, in Kinshasa, Zaire. Uh, it's, it's, you know, the heavyweight title fight, and somehow the dictator of Zaire put up like $10 million. They each got $5 million from this fight if they would go to Africa and have the, the this title fight there. And it's about like the the spectacle and the show and like there was a delay and there was like this huge concert that James Brown headlined to promote the fight is really interesting. Like I vaguely knew that Muhammad Ali had fought George Foreman in the seventies, but I didn't know about all the stuff around it. It's crazy. It's a really interesting documentary. I do really highly recommend it. It's a fairly short watch. It's like an hour and a half and you you won't be bored for one second. Like it's really interesting. And I learned a lot too about you know zaire and, and boxing and, and don king and a bunch of other people it's, it's really interesting movie um other than that uh, i'm caught up completely on peaky blinders now i think in britain season six is either out or airing presently but in america on netflix you can only watch through to the end of season five which is where we are mm-hmm. and uh it's interesting because they introduce at least one if not other characters that are real life people so I don't, I have mixed feelings about that because it's interesting because one of the people is like the real life member of the 
fascist party in 30s Great Britain. And it's interesting because, you know, what a what a terrible or polarizing or whatever person he was, depending on your point of view. But, like, are they going to, like, follow history? Because if so, then that takes out some of the the drama of the show. I don't, I don't know. I mean, season six isn't out yet, so I don't know. And apparently after season six wraps, they're going to make a movie and then the series is done forever, which I like because I really like when something has a beginning and an end. Don't try to drag it out longer than it needs to be dragged out. Yeah. And, um, Simpsons. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> zombie Simpsons. <laughs> but, uh, and that, and, uh, I've been playing a ton of dark souls remastered. I can't remember if I had started it last week or not, but, just on a whim, I finally decided it was time to try to play that game again. I've tried to play it twice in the past, and neither time did it really stick. I didn't get it, but this time I like love it. I, I, I took the time to learn how to roll and backstab and how to parry and a bunch of other stuff. And I'll save, you know, obviously I could talk about Dark Souls for like a fucking hour or something. But all I'll say is I didn't give the game a fair shot. There's still a lot of stuff about it that isn't great, but there's a lot of stuff about it that is just undeniably fantastic. At least the world design. I love the fact that everything folds back on itself. It's like you'll be running around, you'll go through a random door, and you're like, oh, I'm back at the beginning of the game. That's bizarre. It's like everything's like all big circles, and they all lead back to the Firelink Shrine area. But it's 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 a lot of fun. I can't can't put it down. The game's a lot of fun. All right. Well, uh, on my end, I played more WWE 2K22. I did more of the my GM because I'm trying to break it, the GM, um, just to see like if they they just didn't do a lot of work in it, and it feels it, it feels like they don't have a system in the GM. It's really like not even advanced. Like I even put it on hard mode, and I was still getting some good ratings it's just a matter of you know seeing what the crowd wants and all the power-up cards can be abused in some way because you could veto their champion like there's a video a veto champion card where it, it could make the person not use their uh champion on the card so i literally just waited until wrestlemania and I just vetoed their champion. So then there was no champion uh, title shot at Mania for them. I was like, screw you guys. Man, I bet Vince McMahon and Eric Bischoff wish they had veto champion several times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I I got Dan Housen, uh, a world champion. He beat um, Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. Would never happen in real life, but I made it happen in my GM. Which belt? Uh, I gave him the the real belt, not the universal title bullshit. Oh, I was gonna say very good, very evil, very yeah. universal. Yeah, very universal. Um, I also tried to do like everybody, like in my head, I was like thinking Vince McMahon buying AEW, and like remember that that promo? He's like, I've got WCW, and he like he's I got the whole world in my hands and all that stuff, and uh, I made Tony Khan a GM. He was NXT UK because fuck you, because Vince McMahon. And um, he, he got all the all the the people that Vince didn't want. So, like, Vince had all the the big guys, and then all the cruiserweights, all the 205s went to Tony Khan. And I was just booking matches like that. Hey, uh, it sounds like real life, kind of. Yeah. So I'd like to think... 
I'd like to think that if Vince McMahon actually bought AEW, he would do it, televised like the real thing, and then the very first thing he would do is go, Jeff Jarrett, you're fired! <laughs> and everyone would be like, what the hell? Jeff Jarrett doesn't work for AEW. <laughs> He's like 10 years behind. Yeah, it's like, listen, I did it 20 years ago, I'm going to do it again. It's the first first act, just just as a callback to his, his WCW takeover. I, I can see that happening. And so I think Vince, he doesn't work there. He, he never did. Mm-hmm. Now you have to do the opposite and have Tony Khan buy WWE. Yeah, I wish we could do like... Complete with the super awkward announcement. I wish we could use custom shows in GM, which I don't understand. There's things in this game where I'm like, this would be really cool if I could like put my own show in this GM thing instead of me using like SmackDown, all the WWE brands. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, it would be really cool because it's a simple thing. Why aren't there mid-card titles in the GM mode? And I'm like... Because th- nobody cares about those on modern television. True. I mean, you ain't wrong. But uh, yeah, I played that. I tried online. The netcode is still bad, by the way. Mm. Uh, uh, that's one thing that you're going off of your uh, the person that you're playing. And if they just choose who has the better internet. And if he has the better internet by a smidge, that means your netcode is going to be fucked. So keep that in mind. Uh, as far as uh, things I watch, um, I actually watched a TV show with my dad called Archive 81. It's on Netflix, and it's about um, it's a guy who restores like old uh, VHS tapes and all that stuff. And it was like found footage of a an apartment complex with a an a, a culted cult a cult in there, and they were killing human beings, sacrificing them. And you're just like, what the fuck is going on in this apartment complex? And then like some strange things happen at the end, like. This is a nice take on found footage because a lot of found footage, they go, all right, now you, you have the camera and like, oh my God, things are happening. This is this is like, oh, I have to restore this tape. What does it say on this tape? And then you go into it and then there's like some dimension shit going on. So it's on Netflix. Highly recommend it. Eight episodes. Real short season. And it goes straight to the point. But, Daniel Kojima uh, recommends it as well. Kojima, he watched it. Mm-hmm. He was like, "Watch pro- what, whatever you said." I forgot the name. Archive eighty one. He's like, "That's good. It's <laughs> good shit." <laughs> good shit. Do you miss me? <laughs> anyway, anyway, that's all I've been doing. I played WWE and I watch Archive eighty one, uh, and I also watch some uh, videos of Razor Ramon uh, on the, the VHS tape that teaching you how to do his finisher move in one of the games. So <laughs> you you bring the guy down energy and you hit the razor's edge. <laughs> He's Super like, Nintendo hit R, that's what he says. And you you hit any key. <laughs> anyway, Pierce Brosnan mm. in Tomorrow Never Dies. Andy, take it away. You're the Bond expert. Well, unfortunately, I don't know quite as much about the development of Tomorrow Never Dies as I did about GoldenEye. GoldenEye was always just really interesting because, like I said, so much stuff changed. This is the first movie that they made without uh, Albert Broccoli whatsoever. 
like I think uh, I think it's right at the beginning of the credits. It says in loving memory of Albert Cubby Broccoli because they call him Cubby, which is a weird British name to call people if I ever heard one. Um, Pierce Brosnan's back. the The script was written just for the movie again, and the the script of this movie has. I, I thought it was really interesting that uh, I think it was. Chaz said, oh, this has aged really well. It's still very relevant. Um, but the, the premise of this movie is based, at least in part, and he even brings this up during the movie, which I completely forgot, based in part around kind of the myth of how American media created the Spanish-American War because there was an explosion on a warship, and then the news basically like spun it into this huge, crazy thing, and before we knew what we were at war with Spain. Like, the, the media has been doing this kind of stuff for a long time. He said, uh, William Randolph Hearst famously once said, uh, you provide the headlines and I'll provide the war, I think is the quote. Because Elliot Carver says it in this movie. And that's kind of what it's about is um, uh, this has got to be ex-president Trump's favorite Bond movie because this movie's about fake news. Uh, it's a bad guy. But um, Elliot Carver is a crazy person and he wants to create a war between uh, the United Kingdom and China, so that he can create headlines. That's that's the that's the story in a nutshell, right there. I don't know where to jump into if you want to talk about acting, the set pieces, the soundtrack. Uh, 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 Cheryl Crow, right? Does the opening song to this? That was a good one. It's a pretty yeah. good one. Yeah. I like this one. It's pretty good. I was like, who is this? And it said Cheryl Crow. I was like, what? Yeah, I, I did the same just... thing. I think I was like, wait, who is this again? I actually like this more than I thought I did because I watched this movie like a, a million times as a kid. I have the VHS. Again, if you're watching the video, there it is on my my faraway display there. I watched this movie a bunch as a kid, but back then I wouldn't have known who the hell Cheryl Crow was. Uh, It's directed by Roger Spotswood, I think is how you say it. It's either Spotswood or Spottis Woody. The guy, I I was trying to like, what is this guy directed? He's only directed this one Bond movie, which is weird, because normally we get a bunch of like repeat directors, as we've seen in the past. But uh, he directed... um, terror train which is a slasher movie that takes place on a moving train he directed turner and hooch which is that um tom hanks and dog buddy <laughs> comedy <laughs> uh detective movie he directed the sixth day that piece of shit arnold schwarzenegger movie where he like meets his clone or something yeah. this guy's career is all over the fucking place so i i don't know I, I don't know what to say about him one way or the other like this movie is competently directed i guess i mean it's really cool it's honestly if anything i'd give i'd give kudos to the editing i think the movie's like i don't just fun to get through but i don't know if someone asks us some some other jumping off point that'd be nice because like i said it's the 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 plot is kind of just laid right out like they let you know what the plot is to this movie in like the third scene or something like this is what's going on and this is what bond's got to put up with the intro uh is really cool and tense in this movie because mm-hmm. uh, like Bond's there checking out this arms deal going down. There's like some Russian guys there, and there's like a bunch of terrorists and shit. It's basically like a a, a terrorism flea market that he's spying on. <laughs> and like there's they're back at like the headquarters or whatever. M's there, like the the fucking admiral of the British Navy is there, and some other stuff. And they're kind of you know pecking at each other. Say little little quips, and uh, something happens where like they set up uh, Elliot, that guy Elliot, what's his name, Elliot uh, Carver, 
Carter. I want to say Chase for some reason. Uh, they set up like this weird false flag missile strike thing. And it's an excuse for his guy there, his little wormy tech guy, to like steal away this little GPS unit or whatever that the, the gov- the, that's from the United States government. And then... Um, German Cody Rhodes is the henchman. German, German Cody Rhodes. <laughs> uh, and it, it causes this whole state because he's at the very last second after the Admiral orders a missile strike, uh, Bond sees that the, one of the planes they have has like nuclear missiles on it. <laughs> And they're like, oh, shit, this could cause a huge problem. And basically, he has to, like, he just says, fuck it, runs in there, guns everybody down, steals the plane so it doesn't explode and cause, like, a huge international incident. That was, like, fucking cool. Well, he has a really great intro. I mean, you got to suspend your disbelief a little bit on, like, the whole, like, he he ejects only the other (laughs) seat and it causes the other plane to explode. Like, why would the guy just, like, like, what? Yeah. You saw what why, happened to Goose, right? Why can a right? seat punch through an aircraft? That doesn't make sense. <laughs> you saw what happened to Goose Top Gun, right? Yeah, he, he broke I mean, his neck because he hit something. He hit yeah. a canopy. This guy blasted straight through a freaking thing. Yeah, he, he did. Went, um, he went. He went into the other seat. He's like, "Hey, what's up?" Well, it was a Russian <laughs> plane. Their, their cockpits aren't as good, you know. I guess. So, yeah. <laughs> they're paper mache. Yeah. It, what I what I love about like every action movie that kind of has like this cheesy military thing because like in the beginning he's like, where's where's your man? He's not there. He's, he's he's too late. Fuck it. Let's put a missile at this place and they launch a missile and I'm like, and then they find out there's a nuke and they're like, oh my god, I can't turn the nuke uh, turn the missile off. You're like, it's out of range. It's out of range. I'm like, ah. Oh. Bl- he tries to blame it on the Russian guy who's there. He's like, can't you guys keep anything? It's like, what the fuck? Man? You, just, you just wanted to launch a missile attack for like little to no reason. I mean, the whole thing would have been easy because he's uh, presumably Bond like points the camera at it. He's like, don't you know what that is? Don't you know what this is? Just tell him, Bond. Just point the camera at it and be like, hey, that's a that's a nuclear torpedo. Yeah. <laughs> just tell him. Like, why are, why are you being so aloof, you weirdo? No, I, think- I, I actually like that because it, it's an extra step because it's like, well, someone's going to recognize what it is. But then not only is he calling him out, but if he doesn't know what the nuke is, then he's extra stupid. Hmm. <laughs> it was proven that he's kind of extra stupid, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. I, I kind of like the call out, personally. I don't, oh, know, I don't know enough about jet airplanes, right? So please explain me the steep hill that was happening. Does planes, like, go down the steep hill and then, like, launch up the hill? To like take okay. off. I mean, it, they gather momentum doing that. I, I mean, all, all you got the the quicker an aircraft goes, the better the wings are going to operate, right? Because it creates a vacuum above the the wing. I mean, this isn't a freaking episode of Science Now on on Nova or whatever, but so I guess that makes sense, right? I just never seen it before. I've always seen like a flat like landing strip or takeoff strip. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, I but, think British aircraft carriers have a little ramp at the end. I think so. Someone's does. It's not American aircraft carriers. Those are the only ones I'm really familiar with. But someone has an aircraft carrier that ends with like a little whoop at the end. So I don't. Know. I think it's a way to shortcut space. Americans don't because we everything is so large. Yeah, like, we, we got so, room to spare, baby. Yeah, <laughs> just extra large and in charge. Just like the people, like me. 
large. Oh, and me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I I want to bring this up because the remote controlled torpedo fucking uh drill thing. It's so cheesy to me, but I like like it so much because I'm like they're like, oh my god, a torpedo came out of nowhere, and you're like, Jesus, what do we do? What do we do? And you're like, everybody lock into the the you know compart uh, compartments and stuff, and then all of a sudden you just see the drill just going up and down diagonal and stuff. <laughs> There's a lot of remote control shit in this movie, but yeah, mm-hmm. I was like, mm-hmm. this is a weird kind of a throwback to like th- this feels like something that would have been in like the Roger Moore Bonds or some of those late Sean Connery ones, this remote control drill mm-hmm. on a stealth boat. <laughs> yeah, and later on, there's a remote based control. on real technology, by the way, if you guys it, didn't know. Mm-hmm. I figured it probably oh, was. Cool. There, was a, there was a prototype that looked almost exactly like the one the, the model that they built for this movie. Again, there's some model work in this film that didn't really age that well, because when you see it in HD, you're immediately like, that's a model. But there... Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was the American Navy developed one. You used to be able to see the prototype in like Chesapeake Bay. I've seen like pictures of it and stuff. It looked exactly like that. It like sat way up off the water, like a hydrofoil kind of thing. And it was all black, like a freaking stealth fighter or some shit. <laughs> I yeah, have... So that that's based on real stuff. And because it is so grounded in reality, that made me wonder, I never did look this up. It made me wonder, is that is that fucking burrowing torpedo based on real technology? Because it looks like a tunnel digger right with the the big circular drill on the mm. front of it but yeah. i don't know why it would be able to cut through you know three inch armor plating on a british frigate so i don't know i don't know what's going on there <laughs> i think it's just james bond bullshit yeah uh i have a question for all of you but i'll, I'll start with Chaz real quick pierce brosnan uh what do you think of his james bond in this one compared to goldeneye do you think it was different based off of the writing on how the two bonds were in these movies. I, th- I think it's different enough. Um, I-, I think that in the last movie, he just felt more naturally cool in this movie. It felt a little more forced. There, there was a lot that was more forced. I thought in this movie, uh, and that comes back to Q's character or M rather, sorry, uh, related to, uh, some of the innuendos and stuff that are put out there. I felt like some of them were very campy in terms of how they're thrown out. And again, I think that attributes to, to his character too if you watch these back to back there's a huge swing in my opinion from how how calculated and cold he is in the in the golden eye movie versus this one he's again he's much more like relaxed calm like i, I don't know I, I think this this movie it's a bit a bit different um yeah it seems more like he's having fun in this movie almost. yeah, yeah. Like, i know he's not necessarily but yeah, it, well, I, I think later on, which uh, we get to talking about it when uh, um, Terry Hatcher's character passes, which I, I have I have one dig at that, but again, it is a Bond movie, so whatever. But uh, when he finds her, her dead and he's in the situation he's in, literally the vibe that I get from him is like, oh man, what a pickle. And she's <laughs> dead, but I'm still happy to be here. Yeah, like, that's kind of the vibe I get yeah, the whole movie. There's moments like in the car, in the, in the, the parking garage, when he's remote controlling the BMW for the back seat, there's I, I can't remember. I think it's when the missile goes straight through the car, the two open windshields. He like smirks. He's like, "Lol, that's hilarious!" Like, <laughs> you're you're danger. What do you? I mean, that that's totally something James Bond would do, depending on which mm-hmm. interpretation of Bond we're talking about. But mm-hmm. it does seem it does kind of clash with what they set up 
from Goldeneye, and for that matter, what they set up from the two Dalton films. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zach, what about you? Did you see a big difference and want to touch on the whole difference between Pierce Brosnan's Goldeneye compared to Tomorrow Never Dies? I saw a, a difference, yeah. I thought, yeah, he's a little bit more jokey. He's throwing out a little bit more of the one-liners. That felt really restrained in Goldeneye. There, was, there wasn't that much innuendo at all. I think there was like a couple, and then there was like a couple little, I guess he bought the farm brother kind of line or something like that. <laughs> and so in this one, it's like it happens quite a bit. It feels almost like uh, the Roger Moore days again. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it has a place. I really like the part where he's talking to Carver at the party, and the guy's like, oh, you've got quite an imagination for a banker. Maybe I should commission you to write a novel. He's like, no, I'd be lost at sea. Like Stuff like that. That was good. Yeah, that I was good. I fucking love that. That's perfect. But yeah, there's like, other stuff like you know, the, one, the, guy. the one where the, the Chinese agent, she's like, What do you do? Like banking. He's like, I specialize in hostile takeovers. And he just kind of looks around. I'm like, Okay, that's pretty good too. Mm-hmm. I feel like uh, I feel like he goes into his own. Like, I this is more because if you look at Pierce Brosnan's uh, career, he has like his own identity and personality. And I felt like this was more his personality of James Bond than anything. I wouldn't compare him to Roger Moore because the, the thing that Roger Moore does in those fucking movies are just so outlandish and stupid compared oh, to... Oh, it's not necessarily, like, I don't mean everything he does, just the, the one-liners that were starting to come True, out. yeah. Like, it, it got to the point where, like, Roger Moore had, like, a one-liner every 10 minutes or something or less. Um, But... It, to me, I was going to say, this feels like kind of like a blend of everything, this version, where it's like you got the one-liners and the quips, and then you get like some of the, the, God damn it, I'm going to murder somebody or be serious for a minute at Dalton, and then you got some of that fucking suave, cold, stone coldness from Sean Connery a little bit, mm. was occasionally the, the, the quit. It's, it's kind of all there a little bit. Um, I've always preferred when the levity gets shifted to other characters. Like that's why you've got Joe Don Baker as the CIA guy, Wade. That's why you've got Q in there. That's why you've got all these other characters. Mother they get to, they get to be light and funny. Bond gets to be serious, dude. And, you know, again, I really like jokey Bond too. I like every Bond movie, even the one I hate the least, which we haven't got to yet. I still, you know, I still find things about it I like. But, you know, my perfect Bond movie is Bond gets to be a serious boy. He gets to say a couple jokey things once in a while, not many. And the other characters get to be handballs. Yeah. What do you guys think of uh, M in this movie? Because she seems kind of different in this movie compared to Goldeneye. Goldeneye, I, she, think so. I, I, think, I think she did a little bit because in, in that movie, it's kind of like, Pierce Brosnan, James Bond meets uh, Judy Dench M for the first time, and, and she's like, "I'm not taking your bullshit. I don't care if you're a womanizer. I'm gonna send people out there to die." And this one's like, she is for his uh, for James Bond. Like, this is my guy. You better fucking not do anything. Like, he had his back in a way, but she still had that, you know, commanding role. But she was more backing James Bond than anything. Than in the last movie, like. Better stop fucking women and do your job. <laughs> or I'll find someone else to send over there. Uh, maybe you guys had... Uh, I know, Andy, you said 
she was kind of like the same. Uh, would bet. I just don't think she's in this movie enough. I think um, the writer, because um, there's there's two people who get the screenplay uh, credits for Goldeneye, even though it went between a whole bunch of different people. And in fact, someone who didn't get credit for the screenplay, they named the character of Wade after, and that was supposed to be their like little wink to like, oh, he helped make this movie too, which kind of seems like bullshit. But anyway, a bunch of people worked on Goldeneye, but only one guy wrote Tomorrow Never Dies, at least on paper. And the same guy wrote a bunch of other Bond stuff, including all the video games going forward. Mm-hmm. Weird kind of a side thing to mention. Like right up to 007 Legends, which came out just a few years ago. But anyway, um, I think uh, I think he really liked what she did so much that, you know, this is kind of talking a little into next week he gives her a lot to do in the next movie, like almost to a fault. Mm-hmm. So I, I really think her performance from golden eye into this is consistent. It's just in this movie, she doesn't get to do anything. She's only in like two scenes and she's just like an icy bitch both times. Cause you know, that's, that's her persona. Yeah. Cause every- total amount of, Oh, go ahead. No, no, you go. Oh, I, I was just gonna say total amount of time. I think compared to golden, eye, I feel like she's in this movie more. And as far as like actual lines, I think it carries and she progresses more. But the one thing you can even see already that evolves is that it's less of that actual character, especially of her being more commanding and being in that role. Like that's still there, but there are more and more one-liners and innuendos and things with this, what she says. Uh, almost to, again, it, it, it almost is like, mm, that's, that seems a little out of character. And I, I wonder, I'm looking ahead at what you said from last week that next week's movie is probably going to show even more of that. Um, there was also that one line that was like the don't ask, don't tell between her and money penny, which I thought yeah. was kind of interesting. Cause that's also a play on like, well, the time of, uh, of year, like, I guess uh, in history there, at least in the U S that's, that was a big thing. I think, in fact, I think I remember that right. Correct. Uh, the don't ask, don't tell policy was around that time. I mean, that was, that was literally a policy that was, if you're a homosexual and you're in the armed forces, just don't bring it up because we'll have to mm-hmm. do something about it, and it makes us uncomfortable. <laughs> Being a <nutshell>. right, <laughs> right, right. And so I think that was a, if I recall, I think that was something that was that was more uh, prevalent uh, and, and covered in media with regards to like uh, people in LGBT community uh, being able to enlist in military and don't ask, don't tell was the main policy. But I remember that being a thing. So I thought that was like a little kind of like a dig or something i don't know i just remember hearing it and thinking oh that's that's very 90s okay yeah and money penny had more of a personality even though it was like the same person from the last film if even it was like even though it was like one scene it she had more charisma and personality compared to the first yeah, they, they gave her a little bit more to say i'm still not a huge fan of what she had to say like it's still it's kind of too outrageous like, mm-hmm. I understand they're supposed to flirt with each other, but Jesus Christ, turn it down at least one or two pegs. <laughs> well, the early Money Penny with the fucking Sean Connery, like, they were kind of going at it a little bit. Like, yeah, I know. I know that, that I, I, I just a little bit of subtle. I, I know they're being somewhat subtle, they're being 90s subtle, and I just want them to be 70s subtle. <laughs> <laughs> Depends uh, on how much pumping you need to do, Bond. Yeah, it's just shit like that. <laughs> That's too much. That, that's like middle school joke. <laughs> Lol, pumping. I can hear me just a butthead watching this movie. She said pumping. <laughs> uh, uh, pumping. 
Uh, Zach, what, what about your opinion on him? Uh, you think she changed, or was it just not enough of her? Uh, she was the same to me, except for the two little lines that, yeah, felt a little jokey for her, I thought. That was it. Mm-hmm. Not enough stuff there. Same for Body Penny. It's like, yeah, she felt like she she had a little bit more say in this movie. It's like, yeah, okay. Whatever. Elliot Carver. I want to talk about him, because I, I made a comment on the Facebook Messenger with you guys. I said, wow, is this Steve Jobs, like, the villain? Because he dresses like Steve Jobs, even though, like, Steve Jobs didn't do, like, a media or, like, uh, journalism. Like his, I think his visual design is based on Steve Jobs and a few other, like, tech guru personas like that. Mm-hmm. But it's still based very much in that Spanish-American war, William Randolph Hearst, kind of like the media... It's like if, war kind of thing. it's like if Elon Musk decided to be like, I'm gonna take my stealth Tesla ship and like cause World War Three and write about it. Um, which I I want to br- bring this out too because when uh they killed the the sailors uh, with the machine gun in the water, like there was a guy with a video camera. Like, wouldn't you question that a little bit? Like, why is there a video camera of a guy, like, looking at the water, allowing the other guy to fucking just shoot upon sailors? Unless you're the enemy who's has the footage and then just delivers it to Carver. I guess you could put it in that logic. But I at, at that scene, I'm like, that's kind of silly a little bit. Like, if he's making this journalism thing and being the first person, um, I was like, that's... Then again, you just have to get your mind out of it, I guess. I don't know if it would work in 1997, but in modern day, I think something like that would be incredibly easy to contextualize because you'd be like, oh, we've we've acquired this exclusive footage from some jerk-off's iPhone. You know what I mean? Like, you know, mm-hmm. someone sold us this on Snapchat. I, yeah. I don't know about 97. I don't know why there would have been a camera there, but... Yeah, I mean, the other reason, though, I think, too, is if you think of it, Carver has clear intent of of being able to monopolize and and basically try to control the world through manipulation of media. And the way to do that is on the back end, paying off politicians and other pe- peoples in power. I mean, like, clearly later on that happens to China anyway. So, I mean, it's not unheard of that he's just paid the right people to make sure people are in the right positions. Um, I think this movie, the, the, at least the message of this movie, you know, we touched on it, especially with Carver's character. I mean, I feel like that type of character hits more now than it did in that that era because that era still even maybe it's like a remnant of of cold war era thinking of oh technology's bad and the people in the east are terrible and they're gonna do this or that um but the technology has advanced so much in 25 years uh, i think even just from 97 to 2007 what, what's changed dramatically and one of the biggest threats right now is the misinformation uh, issues we have so I, I just wonder with with that like that's why I when we were talking before and I put it in the chat the rhetoric of this movie has just wow it has aged way better than most other movies like of its its kind yeah absolutely I mean yeah I, I said it kind of mockingly earlier but for real like you know, the, the term fake news is definitely like one of the largest contributors the contributions to the zeitgeist in the most recent five years or so and it's a very real thing like the news totally lies about stuff all the time I, I there's there's no like impartial news sources anymore they're all in someone's pocket they're all i mean like 
when companies like, uh, well, I guess it's not the company, but like Jeff Bezos owns newspapers. How's that mm-hmm. ethical? It, but it, it just, it just happens. That's the way it is. Does he, mm-hmm. uh, he owns like the Seattle times or Washington paper or something. I can't remember. He, I, he owns, he owns a newspaper I, I don't read newspapers. It doesn't seem yeah. right. And like the newspaper will publish articles <clears throat> about how Amazon actually isn't mistreating workers. It's like, what? You're owned by Jeff Bezos. We don't believe this at all. But you know, people don't know that. They don't understand that so much. Jeff Bezos. So it's completely fake. That's that's that controlling the narrative kind of thing. And it's in the news, so people think, oh, the news. So the news is going to tell me the truth. No, wrong. The news is going to straight up lie if it serves them. Yeah, I mean that has to do with a bigger problem related to uh, critical thinking being an issue within the world, not just in the U.S. but but throughout the the world itself. Um, and it's really easy to, to manipulate that by just throwing things in front of people. It's much easier to visualize or, or see a headline and go with that. We're, we're definitely more of a society that fits in whatever the headline says. That must be what it is. Let's interpret things from there rather than reading into the information for what it is. And and that that's definitely a, a big problem. Um, I mean, uh, and again, it, it really definitely fits with the type of character that Carver serves in this movie. Um, it's kind of the same thing. Um, yeah, I just thought it was kind of interesting. Well, I, I don't remember what scene. I don't know if it was uh, Wei Lin's character or Brosnan or some other person, but like Carver was in there and they like questioned him and like, oh, what is it about the money? And I think he said, no, it's not about the money. It's about, you know, being the number one source of news. And that's how I get my money and all that. Being yeah, the- that'll generate money. I mean, he says he made a deal with the general because he's going to get exclusive broadcasting rights in China for the next hundred years. Mm-hmm. What's up with China and dealing in hundred year increments? It's really weird, but <laughs> they think really far ahead. They always think about the long term. China's like, look, we've been here for centuries. hundred years. Yeah. Is not- Pretty much. Yeah. But that, that, that hits home a little bit because it's like, Think about journalism now. It's like it's not about the accuracy of the news. It's like you got to get the first one. Look at look at this. We're gonna get into Scott Hall news later, but like look at the Scott Hall news. There was people that were just like, oh, he's out of. Was Dave Meltzer was like he was out of uh, life support, which was true, uh, but he like posted it in a way like he's he's in the clear in a way like he's out. He a miracle has happened, but then like a few minutes later he he died. Uh, but like there was other reports, like you know he was dead already, but he was still on life support. Like that stuff is annoying because people are trying to be the first one on the report rather than giving you the actual facts of what's going. They're just guessing. He's got to be dead by now. We'll report it. Yeah. So, like they're trying to in this way. Carver is like, I'm just gonna create. My-. That's why I brought up if you ever seen the movie Nightcrawler with Jake Gyllenhaal, where he's going around. LA. That's a good movie. Yeah, great good movie. Great movie. It's kind of like that's what Carver's doing. He's he he went in between two ships, uh, the British and China, uh, and like launched a missile, and you don't know who it is, and he's like, oh, World War Three is happening. <laughs> the, just like that's that's a good. It's good that you bring up Nightcrawler. Just like in Nightcrawler, the interest isn't in reporting the news. The interest is in making interesting news on to which to report i said that wrong but you know what i mean like creating compelling news in order to get ratings and therefore advertising because it's it's clicks and whatever else it's sensational uh stuff it's like 
Oh, boring. A guy, like, T-boned a kid in the car, dead. No, you got to make it all dramatic. Remember how he was, like, having the bodies, like, hang out of the door and he would, like, take pictures of it? Like, he made it that... He, he put it that way so that it would look gruesome and terrible and stuff, and that's how he sold it. Uh, and just journalism is gone, man. <laughs> like, in this movie, it is from 1997. It makes you really think, like, how long they've been doing this probably for a really long time but anyway this is, yeah. this is one of the more poignant bond plots mm-hmm. and you were right about this movie it's pretty much a straight road like you're not taking any zigzags at all it's like you have that he, he he tries to get the nuke from russia you have that intro scene and then automatically you're learning about carver you go to the party uh, you you link up with Paris Carver, who's Terry Hatcher's uh, uh, character. She's like, I'm in love with Carver now, but I still want to bang you. And then she goes back to James Bond, bangs him, and then Carver's like, bitch, I knew you were cheating, you fucking uh, hoe. Well, you sent her there to do it. That's not fair. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Fuck. Yeah, and then That's he... all like, kind of a dead end like to me, that subplot there with her. It just felt like, oh, it's just over now. It's like, okay. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll defend that. So just just taking devil's advocate on that. So it's not that he just suddenly cut it off. And you're also dealing with someone who's willing to start World War III for the sake of of being able to control the media, like to control the news that gets out there. So clearly you're already dealing with someone that's just a few crayons out of the box. Like that being said, I don't think it's so much the tipping point of, oh, he, she slept with him. Okay, let's kill her. It's strictly the fact that even after that, he discovers through information she already knew who he was, and she lied to him about it because she yeah. acted like she didn't know, and he found out specifically she has the agent. And, and, you know, that, that, to me, it's like, oh, you, you actually knew this person could foil everything I'm trying to do. Nope, you're, I'm going to cut my losses here. Uh, she needs to pay a visit to her doctor. Yeah, and we'll get, we'll get to his character. Oh, Doctor Kaufman, this is good stuff. The uh, whole thing also reminds me very much of uh, the beginning of Goldfinger, because the the woman's helping him cheat, and then Bond comes up and seduces her, and Goldfinger just straight up murders her with gold paint. Like, it just makes me think of that. I'm pretty sure there's a few other Bond movies too, where there's kind of like a woman at the beginning who Bond is pretty much responsible for having get dead. Mm-hmm. That's a running trope throughout the yeah the entire series. Well, yeah, and people yeah. people use that against him too. You've left a trail of dead women, and what about all the ones you left left behind or let down or couldn't protect or that kind of stuff? It comes up a lot in the Daniel Craig movies too. Oh yeah, definitely. No, I think it's they put way more of an emphasis on it in those movies. Maybe it's almost to it, it being a, a detriment to the movie in a little, but that's that's for another day. But I do think what's funny is the fact that 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 is in this movie as a plot device makes that difference between Brosnan's bond in this movie versus the other even more apparent because he is so dark and cold and everything in the other movie. And then something like this happens where this person that he has a former love interest that he has some emotional attachment to in some way, even if it's minor dies indirectly because of what he he's doing and we're directly that therefore. And he's just like, well, okay, let's move on. Like he just breezes right past it. And I, like I, I think you said this earlier, Dubs. Like you were talking about how he is more into his own, and he is he's charming. He seems more charismatic, so that's a great thing. But then it's like, 
well, that'd be better if this was the very first one he was in versus being like brooding and it's it would be like going from Michael Keaton's Batman to George Clooney Adam what well not even George Clooney I was even almost gonna say like mid Adam West maybe not that campy but like it, you're going way lighter almost I, I don't know um I don't even want to talk about George Clooney's Batman that's that doesn't exist in my eyes but that's a it's a different take but uh but yeah he it's, 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 it's starting to start dressed up as Batman. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say, he showed, like, you know, when that scene when he finds her in the hotel room and shit, he looks, he looks kind of torn up about it. And then Mr. Dr. Kaufman comes in and they have that scene. And, you know, when he's done, when he does his business and he takes out Dr. Kaufman, which was, that was great. I liked him. I was like, damn it, I wanted him to survive. He's an interesting <laughs> yeah. character. Yeah, yeah dude, I also enjoyed it. He's also played by, uh, I always forget his last name. It's like Vincent um, Skir Skir Valley, something like Valley. Skir Valley, yeah, Skir Valley. Yeah. However you want to say it. Um, but he's great too. He's always like a minor character actor. He's <laughs> a character. He's done a lot of voice acting, and he's been on like a bunch of TV shows for one episode. He was the organ grinder in Batman Returns. That's what I always remember him from. Oh yeah, I, for- I totally forgot about that. He was. Uh, um. My favorite scene during that Dr. Kaufman thing is like they go in the parking garage and they're like shooting the fucking car, the BMW. They're like having a sledgehammer to the, the windows. And like that's when he gets the call. He's like, you need to open up your car. He's like, he takes out his little cell phone and he's like, uh-uh, uh-uh. And he's like, this is really embarrassing, but I need to ask you how to uh, uh, disable the car. <laughs> that, that dialogue is really excellent because he's like about to murder him. He's like, I feel like an idiot. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah, because I I thought the whole thing. I'm like, why would I want to help you if you're gonna kill me anyway? And that's why like he's, the line came in is like, this is silly, but can you help he's a me? Professional yeah. doing a job. <laughs> and so is he. He fucking. <laughs> but back to like uh, James Bond and stuff, like his emotions, because you brought up a good point, Zach. Like, uh, Paris Carver's dead on his bed, and he he. They had a dialogue before, like, oh, they could have been an item, like, married or a long-term relationship, and it never happened. And that that's what led to this, the sex scene and all that stuff. And then, you know, finds her dead, and he seems, like, upset about it. But then you go to the next scene where he's in the, he's in the back car, like, laughing as he's doing the remote, remote control car. Uh, which you could say that was a, that was an editing fault or maybe a writing one. Like if they had other takes of him and maybe he wasn't like haha having so much fun in the car and it was different. Mm. Maybe maybe put those in. <laughs> so I thought it was like damn it, he's like about to die several times. He's like laughing, playing a video game in the back seat, essentially. <laughs> However, if we could if we could pause here for just a second, I fucking love that whole action sequence. That was cool. That was in the parking cool. garage where he's like controlling the car from the back seat. It's really it's really well thought out. It's really exciting and really cool and really well shot. It doesn't make sense that those rockets couldn't blast through that steel door, but whatever. The rest of it's really cool. <laughs> also, I I like I said, I've seen this movie like a hundred times, but I never got the joke that at the end, because uh at the beginning when he lands in Zurich or Hamburg or wherever he is, uh he's getting he's picking up the car. It's a rental from Avis rent a car. And he talks mm-hmm. to Q, and Q's like, oh, here's your card. Take care of it, you idiot. Here's a sign for the insurance. 
uh, when it ramps off the top of the parking garage and he's like beeping the horn so that people get out of the way, it smashes into the front of an Avis rent a car place. He's returning the rented yeah. car <laughs> to Avis. I never got that before. That's hilarious. That's <laughs> I just lost awesome. yeah. Thank you because I did not catch that. So that was really good. <laughs> That's, see, Bond doesn't have to be a stupid goofball clown. But you can still have your comedy in there. You can still have that levity. That's how you do it. Clever writing and something something silly like that. He kind of gives like a nod like, hmm, yeah, there you go. Here's the car back. I don't need it anymore. Right. I, I really laughed at the part, like, remember when they put, they put like the, uh, the steel rope and stuff to kind of like, oh, you can't get past me. And then all of a sudden the, the BMW symbol comes up and it's like a little... <laughs> it's at the perfect height. Yeah, <laughs> it's fucking I, awesome. I laughed, and then you know, obviously the, the Avis part. I was like, man, they hit me with the one-two punch of comedy right there. That was great. Um, I, I want to put this out of the way. I know his name is Stamper, but the henchman, uh, the German Cody Rhodes guy. Um, <laughs> I, I don't. It, I didn't find him like, and uh, what's the word I'm trying to. Intimidating. Intimidating. Yeah, I didn't find him intimidating at all. Like, if anything, I thought Carver was more intimidating than Stamper. He felt underutilized. Mm -hmm. Like, he—it's like they wanted to try to make it look like he's like the muscle that gets his hands dirty, but at the same time, ninety percent of the movie he's doing everything from afar and he's delegating. It's like Mm -hmm. weird. Yeah, he's like a boss. He's not not like a video game boss, like like a pencil pushing boss. Like he's like on the radio yelling at guys to do stuff. That whole scene where they're going to like make it look like Bond killed himself after he killed Elliot Carver's wife. He's just on a rooftop across the street yelling at people on a radio. Mm. Wow. Great henchman job, idiot. Like, and also he just, I don't know. He doesn't, he's like a big muscular German guy. Great job. But he's like got like bleached hair and he's just, I don't know. He's not scary. what was up with the shit at the end where they're fighting? It's like finally the two of them have a confrontation. They fight, <sighs> and it's like he's seemingly invulnerable. It, it's like what was that? They didn't really set it up. They didn't set it up that he's a big, strong, scary muscle dude. It's the hair, oh. bleached hair. Come on, it's the story. Hogan, Sting, Cody Rhodes. Uh, he's he's got the sting hair. Sting hair. <laughs> he got the stinger hair. I mean, it's so cool. It does set up that neat. I like the whole like Bond tries to stab him twice, and he's just like lol. That's not going to hurt. And then when he Bond's trying to get out of his vest, he pulls the knife out of his chest and uses it, it to cut it. the vest off. That's cool. That's, that's a nice spot. But why? Like you didn't really set that up at all. Yeah, I, I don't I know. know it's, was... it's just you've got you've got all these classic Bond villains who are all like got metal teeth or like you know a Chinese guy who throws a hat and and a bunch of like huge scary muscle dummies and stuff like that. And Xenia, who oh, the last movie, who's like unique and a henchman all all on her own like she's excellent and this movie had big big muscle dummy blonde guy who's not scary he definitely has the vibes of uh we want diehard henchmen and it's like oh well we don't need to have diehard henchmen you have diehard henchmen at home that's who i was thinking of i was thinking of gunther from yeah. diehard that's 100 percent yeah he's definitely got that type of vibe i will say that it was kind of a neat callback since you brought up the ending too i really liked the the way the ending sequence happened and it's a callback to earlier in the movie whenever uh he is on the plane with the instructor who's going through in detail all the different ways he can die during his sequence of skydiving and then falling into the water about how he's gonna tear the suit and all that and then at the very end like that's like the thing he has to do with the end i I thought that was kind of neat 
Um, it's subtle, also really but... like when he when he jumps out of the plane, Wade goes, "He didn't even say goodbye." <laughs> <laughs> um, I really want to say I really love James Bond and Waylon's chemistry in this movie. It was I, yeah, I mean she's excellent. Yeah, the, the whole movie. The the motorcycle scene, even though it was ridiculous of like the villains just be like, you know what, fuck these civilians. I'm just gonna put the propellers and try to kill James Bond and Waylon. And the, the, no, the whole motorcycle sequence is great too. This this movie has two really exciting vehicle sequences, and they didn't have to do something retarded like we're in submarines this time or oh it's uh, there's a snow snowmobile and also a train or you know something stupid like like they were trying to do toward the end of the roger moore run they kept trying to outdo it no just make a really well choreographed car scene that's what we want yeah not a boat scene that lasts for 30 fucking minutes please right yeah i don't you don't you don't have to like invent a new vehicle for bond to have a chase on we don't need you know, underwater jetpacks just make a really cool the, the motorcycle like jumping over like buildings and stuff like when it jumps over the helicopter that's thrilling that's really cool do more stuff like that i think that's actually a thing that, that there's a strength of this movie overall is with Action. the writing it's they kept things very simple they didn't go really crazy with a lot of plot twists and turns and, and trying to be uh, to be overproductive on that, they, they didn't let try you know to, it's like, Carver like top. right off the bat. There's no mystery. It's just, this they, is the bad guy. They kept it simple. They kept everything straightforward. The action sequences, again, they're good for what they are. They're actually well thought out and well thought out in the intricacies, but they're not. Again, there's no like stupid like oh I'm going to control a vehicle from a satellite above or some um, nonsense like that. It's but everything that's there is still good. It's still thrilling. Um, and there's still something that's thought provoking about the plot itself. It's more the idea of of someone trying to control the media and how much does the media actually control those types of things. Like so that's actually just as as good and deep. But you're also not like lost in the movie trying to follow weird like plot things. Like well, why does this matter? I mean, it's still a Bond movie. There's still things that are just like oh well, okay, why did that happen? Oh whatever, you move on, right? But uh, I don't know. I think that's actually a strength of this. Is like you, sometimes you don't have to take all the turns. You can just drive straight. It's okay. <laughs> I I like when they go to Wayland's uh like hideout area with all her gadgets and like Bond is like playing with all the the fans and stuff and like shit comes out of it and I like when he gets scared with the dragon with the flamethrower he's like ah <laughs> like that that was a nice touch and I like when he's like I forgot what wording he said but he's like I'm gonna do this on a computer you go do something else and he looks at the keyboard messages you do something else (laughs) he looks at the computer like the keyboard and it's all uh you know in Chinese and everything he's like you do this I'm gonna go over there (laughs) yeah that uh that whole thing too had very Ninja Turtle hideout vibes to me too that seems the stand-in for the fun Q sequence because normally mm-hmm. he goes down to Q Branch when he's mm-hmm. at MI6, and they're down there testing a bunch of kooky bullshit. There's guys getting trapped in in a uh, in phone booths, and people are getting shot with cigarettes. And you know, don't touch that. That's my mm-hmm. lunch. They don't. You don't get that in this movie because he lands at the airport and he talks to Q. And Q's like, "Here's a phone. Here's a car. Fuck off." So mm-hmm. instead of that, they do it later when he's there horsing around with all of her Chinese Q Branch stuff. 
You're right, but it's also like dusty, dusty cellar. I'm in the sewers type of like it's just really old, like abandoned nonsense. And then all of a sudden, boom! There's all this stuff, and it still looks very nineties. Like suddenly there's red. eight PRT monitors that all have stuff on them. And why are they so fucking red? Like they are so bright red. <laughs> like it's great. It's just like that's that was a vibe that I got from it, which I mean I thought was funny. So you just you just see Splinter in a cage, like doing karate, like watching his master Shredder doing karate. You fucking dunk on that. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're gonna watch those someday. <laughs> um, I'm so excited. What else can I say about this movie? Like, I, I don't know what it, it's more of a me problem than anything, but some of the <clears throat> some of the Bond movies, like it, it falls flat for me at the end. I don't get a satisfaction at the end at all. Uh, there are some movies, like the Sean Connery movies, had a satisfaction. Then the Timothy Dalton movies had satisfaction. And the one, uh, what's that one movie, that one Bond movie? Who Who's that guy's name? Your Majesty's something? Lazenby. Lazenby. Yeah, George Lazenby, yeah. Like, I enjoyed that ending. Um, but, like, all the other Bond movies, I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, I know they're, like, he's, he's <laughs> beating the villain. But, like, it, it comes to an abrupt end. And then I'm like, oh, there's always going to be a kissing scene. Like, I always know that's going to happen at the end. Like, oh, the Bond woman and, and Bond are just going to have the sex. Um, and obviously this is what happened because after the ship happened and, and and you see the Navy be like, Bond, Lynn, are you there? And he's like, they're trying to find us and be like, let's just stay undercover. And I'm like, oh, lol. Outro Can music. We- before we we play out to the overall thought, I do want to touch on my favorite scene in the movie, and I double take and I want to make sure I'm, I'm not completely crazy. Simon Pegg cameo. Was he? Did you guys note that? Not that I know. Simon, Simon Pegg is in this movie, and I looked it up, and very briefly, he has a one line. He's one of the radio inserts on uh uh toward the end of the movie for one of the ships. Yeah. Oh, when Simon they're, Pe- they're like, oh, we we'll have to do it the old fashioned way, and they start yeah and stuff. Yep, and it's very quick. Like literally, he's on screen for like two seconds, says one line, and that's it. And I looked up, I was like, "This Simon Pig," and I looked it up, and yeah, at least the first thing I found on Google said, "Yeah, Simon Pig's in this movie has one line." So I left it. I was like, "Oh, sure, that works." And then I kept going. So that's I did not confirm further than that. Uh, I was gonna dig through the billing and just see if he was on the, the in the cast, but uh, let me see here. I didn't know if anyone else saw that because I was like, "That's kind of random." I don't I see it. him. I don't see him on the list. I don't either. Okay, let me look up and then and see because maybe it wasn't him and it just looked a lot like him. But um, they don't always credit people. I mean, fucking Daniel Craig's in Star Wars. He's not in the credits. Oh, that is interesting. I'm Here wondering. we go. Yeah, I have I have it up here. It says despite other answers on this list, Simon Pegg was was in fact in uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. Did not get uh, credits as it was a cameo role. Had one single line. And it was near the end of the movie as a crew member. So yeah, he's he's in the film. At least according yeah. to this this random guy in here arguing with a, a board about how it wasn't him. So <laughs> fuck knows. Uh, but yeah, I just think that's kind of funny. I just noticed it. I was like, that looks a lot like Simon Pegg, uh, like a very young version, of course. And uh, and then I looked it up, and that's what it said. So yeah, yeah. Suck pole guy on the message board. Yeah, yeah. fuck you, guy. Oh, good, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else uh, that you want to bring up for the overall? Um, the 
yeah, I don't know. I guess this goes into the overall thing I was going to say. This was fun. It was straightforward. Um, the, the villain is, like, absolutely fucking ridiculous. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to start World War III, and the, the end goal is to get news coverage for it, for it. And it's like, what if they destroy the world? It's like, he didn't think that far. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, Fuck it, I guess. I don't. He'd be like one of those Fallout guys or something. Yeah, like an see you find a Fallout game. I think. I think it's more of, <clears throat> excuse me, depopulation of you know the peasants of the world. So like, people, I don't think he thinks about that. I think it's he not does. the vibe I get from him. Well, uh, not right away. But if you like, you think about the plan. If you put logic behind it a little bit, like all the elitists and stuff, which he's trying to become an elitist, um, and you know. When World War Three is happening, he could just go into his fallout bunker, and then when the the nukes are done, he comes out like in in the the game fall a fallout. So that's what I got out of it. Like it, it it's weird because it's not like a super duper evil plan, but it's still an evil plan. But he just wants to get money out of it. I think it's a super duper evil plan. It's it's just the motivation behind it is like so weird and hackneyed. It's even weirder and dumber than some of the other villains in Bond movies. It's like, at, at what cost do you want all this news coverage? It's, that's just fucking insane. There's not even like a, a principle behind it or anything. Well, it's, it's deeper. I think it's deeper than just the news coverage. I mean, I agree with you to a point. It is a bit outlandish compared to some, some of the other motivations for other Bond villains, but I, again, it's more about if you have the if you were the the very first person to show up with the megaphone and you were the loudest, then the most people are going to hear you. You can then kind of weave the narrative how you want, and you can kind of control there. But again, that logic is broken by the fact that well, if you kill everybody or you kill half the population or more, well, you lost all the people that are going to be paying money to get all the news and information that you have. So like that again kind of defeats itself so i, I yeah. think again it's one of those things like grab for power at all costs to become elitist but it's very short-sighted because he's willing to throw the rest of the world away for it um, typical western corrupt elitist always thinking in the short term never in the long decadent corrupt western just your silly, yeah, you know what i was doing silicone <laughs> valley uh villain um yeah i really want to laugh at, at the part because when Bond turns off the uh, signal to the broadcast, like he goes like full Vince McMahon mode. He goes, "What happened? What's going on here? Why are we off the air?" Yeah, the woman there's like, "I don't know. You're fired. What the fuck did I pay you <laughs> for? Get out of my sight!" <laughs> Immediately, like that dude that was like writing on his clipboard. Also, like at the end, he was like writing something on the clipboard, and he notices on the monitor over there uh, that Bond's on there. He's like, "What? What did I even pay you for, idiot?" You're fired. It's like he was probably writing something important down. I don't know. Or that, or he was just drawing. Mm-hmm. He's just horsing around. He's just drawing, drawing yeah. ladies with big boobs. He was drawing Wario or something. <laughs> so so his dichotomy is the one thing that doesn't play very well at this day and age because media is, is so easily attainable and accessible. Like, you think if someone did something like that similar to in this day and age, even like the last five, ten years, everyone would have been recording him throwing a like a shit fit and then that would have just ruined it all right it's like oh no one's gonna take him seriously he's just a he's a toddler with the with an ego complex who happens to have a lot of money 
he would have got me too himself or something. He he'd get his just desserts for like threatening the president, and, like exposing him. He would. Yeah, it's, it's implied that he's not exactly faithful because he's making these jokes about getting Waylon behind a news desk. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean, his wife's I, like, I'm sure she. I'm sure she wouldn't put up a fight or something like that. I can't remember the exact wording. It's like, wait, what's going on here? <laughs> I mean, I can see those headlines now. It would say Elliot Carver banned from Twitter after attempting to start World War Three. Can't be on Twitter. <laughs> also, he abuses women. And then he's like on like one of the other like lesser things. Uh, he's like on Instagram posting photos, and he's like, they tried to cancel me, but they won't do it. Fake news. It's a fake, fake news. He, uh, he me too. <laughs> James Bond, James Bond, uh, sexually harassing uh, Paris Carver. Now she's dead, live here on Carver News. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, my overall opinion. Um, I thought after because I barely like things that come to mind in Tomorrow Never Dies is obviously the car scene with the remote control. I was like. When he handed the the cell phone, I'm like, I remember that because I remember Q being like, doesn't know how to do a remote control car. He's like, he's going, a poor old man. He doesn't know how cell phones go. Yeah, doesn't know how things work. He can't play videos. <laughs> and and then like James Bond takes it out, and uh, it's like, I remember that scene. I remember the stupid stealth boat that uh was like in the water, <laughs> kind of looked- not as stupid as you think, man. It's based on real shit. It looks like a coffee yeah. table in the sea. Yeah, well, yeah it, it did look a little trail. weird. What do you think about it, that? <laughs> yeah, I think, again, that goes more back to the, oh, I'm watching it in HD. Uh, that, it could that look like a Yeah, no, you watch it in HD, you're like, oh, that model looks like shit. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It's like watching VHS or LaserDisc. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but overall, like, I had a good time watching this. Like, yeah. And another scene where Elliot Carver dies by the fucking drill from the beginning fucking brutal yeah i was like oh shit like fucking james bond is like the the face he gives is actually really compelling it's like oh no (laughs) that's why i was loud and scary that's why i was surprised like he was the first one to go because uh german cody Rhodes, and that's how he'll be known by the way german cody Rhodes was the final boss in a sense uh he was the last man to beat uh and i know i keep on saying i'm bringing up another scene but like when they infiltrate that boat I love when Bond takes just a random dude and like sticks him out the corner and he shoots him and like falls in the ocean. It's like, I got, and that's another thing. These villains are stupid as fuck. Um, because like, did you kill James Bond? It doesn't make sense because they just spotted him on camera. And that means someone wasn't watching Bond on camera when he did that shit. Yeah. It was the guy on the clipboard. The guy, the guy went back to drawing, I guess. <laughs> and you would think, like, because this is like the third time they're trying to kill James Bond. Like, you would think after you shoot a guy, right? And if you're this big assassinating guy or whatever, you would want to check to see if he's really dead. Maybe put an extra couple of bullets into the the, the body while it's floating there. Or maybe turn it over and be like, yeah. I got James Bond. Instead, he shoots the guy, hears the water, closes the door, and says to Carver, I got him. James Bond is dead. <laughs> yeah, got him. And, uh, yeah. But overall, I had fun. Uh, I love Wei Lin. I wish we had more of Wei Lin in, in the future Pierce Brosnan uh, movies. But and we only get her in I remember in a- you said that. You remember you said that in two weeks. We're going to revisit that statement. Oh, okay. <laughs> 
Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I recommend it. What about you guys? Yeah. Yeah. Zach? Yeah, I recommend it. I kind of did my whole spiel earlier, uh, so this was fun. Is it as good as GoldenEye? No. Is it still good? Yes. Is it still better in some movies? Yes. Yeah. Chaz, what about you? Yeah, no, I definitely recommend people watch it. It's my it's my second favorite. It's a, we're, I think we're at least we've watched number one and two as far as my, my favorite Brosnan films go in terms of the Bond stuff. So we've seen one and two. It's all downhill from here, baby. Yes, this is this is where I think we get into what the fuck is going on territory, because um, we got the the world is not enough next, uh, and that came out. Let me see if I get that right. Was it 99? I think it's 99. Yeah, 1999. The world... I usually do them every other year. The world is not enough. So remember to watch that Pierce Brosnan uh, film. And uh, we'll come back and we'll talk about it. We get, we got two more of this, right? Two more? World is... Two more. World is not enough and then die another day. I think I die another day. Fuck you, Madonna. Fuck you. Oh my god. Anyway, let's get into some news that matters to us. We're gonna get into some sad news. Um, we kind of touched on it on it before, but uh, Scott Hall has passed away. He had hip surgery, and during hip or after or during hip surgery, he had like three heart attacks. Uh, that put him on life support and pretty much Kevin Nash is the, like the first person to bring the news. Cause he's like, he talked to the family and they're going to, you know, take him off life support on Monday. Um, and then there was like conflicted. Then, then we had, you know, stupid Dave Meltzer come out of nowhere and be like, it's a miracle. He came off of life support and he's still alive. And then like minutes later he, he died. Um, cause Sean Waltman, uh, said, you know, he tweeted, he's gone. And then WWE had their, um, what do you call it? Uh, tribute, uh, to him. Uh, I mentioned it to the, uh, the getting some color guys here, me, uh, Zach and, uh, Chaz in, in the, in the chat last night. I was like, I'm pretty bummed out about it because Scott Hall is one of my favorite wrestlers. Uh, I liked him more as Razor Ramon. I respected him in NWO, what he'd done with Hulk Hogan and Nash, but I was always a DX guy over NWO. Um, but it, it, it sucks, dude, because Zach, like you brought it up the other, uh, the other night, he was getting clean. Like he was like fixing his life. He did DDP yoga. He got off the drugs. He had some lapses, but like, he overcome them. He was getting into family stuff. And then this shit. Ha- it sucks that like he conquered all his demons just to get fucked by a hip surgery. And I, yeah. I mean, when, when you get past 60, you fucking bad falls like that. They can really fuck you up. That's kind of what happened to him. Mm-hmm. Really? I mean, I mean, I'm sure his heart wasn't in great shape anyway from all the alcohol abuse he put himself through. And the cocaine, probably. <laughs> yeah, oh, but even, even with that, I mean, even with even with the heart stuff, he so he he ended up getting a pretty large blood clot, and it and yeah. that's it led to a pulmonary embolism. That's a 
uh, for those in the lay term, that's a massive blood clot that is caught between the blood vessels within your lungs, immediately next to the circulation of your heart. So that is, especially if it's large enough, that that is fatal. I mean, it's it's very unlikely someone's going to live through that, um, or at the very least, you have massive heart attacks. I mean, the best place to have one is right there on the operating table because they can immediately give you medicines to try to break it. But I mean, it was just too late. Um, and uh, yeah, I think there was a lot of confusion. And I saw something that Sean Waltman put out too about how it's like, man, it feels really weird seeing people putting all these tribute posts and, and rest in peace things. And I'm watching my friend fight for his life as we speak. He's not dead yet. And that was that was kind of like, I don't know, that was kind of odd to see, right? Uh, so it yeah. was weird. And it comes to, it kind of ties in with the Bond thing. Like the media is just like first catch grab. Everybody wants to be the first person to comment or throw an opinion out there about things and um, before things can actually settle so we know what's going on. And it makes it difficult, right? It's like people want to remember him, um, and and I agree with you, Dubs. He was he was one of my favorite wrestlers. Like I, I, I watched in between like a mix of WWF and WCW. I, I always like kind of favored a little into the WCW stuff, but uh, even with that, like my favorite wrestlers, bar none, in in WWF uh, were Razor Ramon, Bret Hart. And an ultimate warrior, oddly enough, I think I was like my child, like I had like the little plush, like wrestling buddy. Like, I just remember that as a really little kid. And it's like the only person I would call my favorites that was a bad guy consistently was Razor Ramon. And it's like, why? It's like, because he's so cool. He's like exactly. he's the coolest wrestler ever. He's always the coolest guy in the room. And it's like, it was always awesome. You br- um, I used to carry around a toothpick when I was a kid, actually. I actually, actually uh, have a scar on the roof of my mouth where... I fell carrying a toothpick and it went through my mouth and my oh, palate and I had to yes. have it sutured. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I have a scar because of a razor remote in my mouth. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Everybody that saw him wanted to do fucking toothpick shit. That's, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Like the first thing that came to mind when you said you had a scar is Scarface. Uh, if you ever watched a TV version in the beginning of Scarface, like where do you get that, uh, scar and like tony montana would be like i got the scar from eating put uh would you get that scar from eating pussy no man i ain't getting no scar from eating pussy but like in the tv version he's like where'd you get that scar from eating pineapple and (laughs) (laughs) so i don't know that that and another thing that you brought up the 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 warrior uh wrestling buddy um I was a sick kid back then um when the whole uh sergeant slaughter and and uh, when he was part of Iraq, uh, uh, the alliance and stuff. Iraqi sympathizer phase. I be- beheaded my wrestling buddy, a warrior. <laughs> ah, I'll him, okay. Yeah. Jeez. He's moving to America. Yeah. Like, back to the... <laughs> but that's, that's the first thing that came to my mind about the wrestling buddy. Um but back to a serious <laughs> note uh, of uh, we call it Scott. It's pretty Hall. serious. Yeah, yeah. Back to As like, Michael Cole would say, switching gears. Yes. <laughs> Vintage Joe Dubs. Anyway, uh, Scott Hall. Um, what really pissed me off when people were like saying he's dead and everything is all the people on YouTube, um, like capitalizing on his death, pretty much. Like they would like start up a stream, but like I'm an in memory of Scott Hall. I'm gonna do everything Razor Ramon. And I'm like, and it like do you would like click on their streams, and there's like a lot of donation stuff. 
and then there was a lot of TikTok people doing it and people on Twitter. And I'm just like, you motherfucker. Like, it's so disgusting. Like, the guy's not even dead yet. And like Sean Waltman said, he was fighting for his life. And you're trying to capitalize on the ending of his life. Because, and, and you got to admit, some of these people probably just didn't give a shit about Scott Hall. They were probably like, oh, that's... That's the drunk guy in NWO because there was a drunk ang- angle that they did with Scott Hall, which was fucking retarded, by the way, um, back, back in WCW days, uh, the downfall of WCW. Um, but yeah, that, that, that pissed me off, but hey, it sucks. And like, if, if, if it was Ric Flair that died, like I'd be still upset, but I'd be like, that dude is old. Like he's gone through so much drugs and alcohol. Like I expect him to drop dead any soon. Um, but somehow oh, Rick, yeah, but that, yeah, like Rick Flair is on the pacemaker, uh, and all that stuff. And he talks about it and he's always doing like crazy, uh, yelling in his videos that he does or his podcast. I'm like, calm down, Rick. You're going to, you're going to die. Stop. This will be the end. Yeah. <laughs> Ed yells more than he does. That dude needs to fucking calm down. Mm-hmm. Just turn his game up. It'll be okay, man. You don't have to talk so fucking loud. <laughs> <laughs> but any any final words, a- Andy? Do you have anything about the bad guy, Razor Ramon? Uh, I, I I it's often it's a running gag on the show where you guys will mention a wrestler and I'll be like, who? And then Zach will say, exactly. That would never happen with Razor Ramon. He's, he's too much of a bad motherfucker. I always knew who he was. Yeah. yeah so I, I guess officially now we can say too, because it can go down. Of course, he's one of the more underrated, probably one, one of the, if not the best wrestler to never hold the world title. But if, as if I recall, no one's ever kicked out of his Razor's edge. That's true. He he's the he was the true master of you know what if you're if you're in a spot where someone's gonna kick out of your finisher just don't fucking do it and that is such a like a classic thing to pass on to to younger wrestlers now um, I know Bully Ray will push that a lot on his own show because they talk about how the 3D was so devastating and I think there's only been like one or two times in 30 years that's ever been kicked out of and it's kind of the same thing like you make sure when it counts it's it's gonna count so that's one that's one thing that I think that was really cool. Uh, learning some of the stories that I did, like learning that that Razor Ramon is actually responsible indirectly for Sting turning into the Crow, where, that's just fantastic. I mean, to think about how much impact that had on WCW um, and him being involved in NWO, uh, just I mean, a huge monumental impact in wrestling. And it sounds like he was such a selfless person too. Again, he faces inner demons. We we all have our own vices and different things like that we deal with, and it's it's a shame that he was finally around the corner from di- recovering from a lot of those things and he's passed, but he's definitely gonna be missed. Mm. Zach, anything for you? Any final words? Um, nah, uh, other than, yeah, he'll, he'll be missed and stuff. And he, he left behind a, a good body of work, some WCW stuff, notwithstanding, but, uh, a lot of people know who he is, even that weren't really in wrestling as evidenced and, uh, he's going to be like one of those fixtures, like one of those guys people will talk about for a long time after he's gone, you know? Okay. Stick man. Stick man. Yeah. I can't. <laughs> uh, and by the way, um, 
getting some color. We're next week. We're going to have more stuff about Scott Hall. There might be a surprise that we're all going to be three doing, um, for video, by the way, if you're in audio and you want to see what we're going to do in video, make sure you come to YouTube for getting some color. Uh, Chaz, I don't know if you saw it in, in the chat of what I want us to do. Don't say it on the air, oh, but uh, I did. Yeah. Okay. I responded. Okay. So, um, other than that, I'm trying to think what other news we, we had to like the Cody Rhodes thing that he, he has plans for WWE, but doesn't, who knows? We'll see when it happens. Um, gaming wise, uh, I just want to bring up Ghostwire Tokyo. I don't know what that game is. I like, I watched a video. It looks of it. cool, right? Like, yeah. it looks interesting. It has an, it has an appealing look. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's all I know. Yeah, because, like, I'm looking at it, I'm like, it's like Doctor Strange a little bit, but I'm just walking around Tokyo with all these Slenderman people walking around with umbrellas and stuff. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I, cause I, I don't know if it's justifiable to spend $70 on a game. I don't know. So I'm going to wait to see what it is. Cause you should always it, wait. Yeah. And when it comes to new games. Yeah. Cause this game could be another, as the kids say, banger. And uh, maybe this is going to be another sleeper game that I have to buy to play. So it looks fucking cool. Yeah, I didn't know what y'all were talking about. Now I'm seeing it. Like, yeah, I kind of want to play it. Just yeah. based off uh, that. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's the aesthetic. Cool. Looks like, cool. I don't know what it is. But, <laughs> but other than that, uh, people are still like complaining about Elden Ring on how hard it is instead of like playing and and learning how to play it. Uh, that hurts. I've been trying to find games to turn off UIs and shit so I could be like, I want to play a game without UI. Just let me play a game like that. Just let, let me get That's lost. That's the best part of the game. That's the best part of the fucking game is that there, you can just have the UI off. And guess what? You can still toggle and get your stuff up if you need to see it, but you don't have all this bullshit on the screen. You just enjoy the fucking environment for what it is. It's fantastic. Every every game should have that. When they added that to Breath, oh. or when I saw that it was in Breath of the Wild, I was ecstatic because that game looks excellent without a heads up. Oh. Yeah. Um, the state of play. Uh, the, did you see that Ninja Turtle pack that's coming out? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. That looks cool. I, that's the only thing. I was I really like. excited about it, but I already own more than half those games. So I don't. I don't know. I, I I'm still really interested in it though because you know save states and HD and a whole bunch of other stuff. I'm excited for the tournament fighters uh, port because it's. I think if I recall, it's the SNES version. It's or all NES. of them. All three versions. NES, SNES, and Genesis are all in there. Oh really? They all three are on. Okay, so yeah. I have I have the Genesis version. Um, so I was curious because the games, if I remember, are totally different for each. Uh, yeah. System. Well, especially yeah. the NES one, but they each also mm-hmm. have exclusive characters. Mm-hmm. But they they play as like different games. Like even fundamentally as fighting games, the fighting mm-hmm. games themselves are different. Like They're the Genesis and SNES unique, versions yeah. are two different games, very reminiscent of the the things that you would get in that era, where you would get different publishers to make games of the same like movie title or something, and the games would be dramatically different depending on which system they're on. I, so I, I just think it's a cool thing. Um, but yeah. Day to play overall, I was not. Uh, I think I, again, I think it's more of just like there's way too much hype. Everyone's like, "Oh, they're gonna do this big thing." Although Sony also shot themselves in the foot by being like, "We're gonna bring back a beloved franchise," 
and everyone's like, oh, really? Okay, what's a long list of all these things it could be, and... Wow. <laughs> well, so what happened there? Well, if you're a Harry Potter fan, they're having a, the Hogwarts uh, showcase state of play Thursday. Do I care August. about Harry Potter? No, I think Harry Potter's stupid. Ooh. So, yeah, I said it, people. What are you going to do about it? We're probably... That was me. That's why I did yeah. the... Get off my lawn. Yeah. Yeah. Is that is that a thing we're just gonna keep doing now, Zach? I've done it a couple times tonight so far. When we've been talking the the, the Razor Ramon spooky, the, the Scott Hall spooky. I, I've done several <laughs> Razor Ramon mannerisms throughout my life, just randomly. <laughs> same, same. <laughs> but I, other than that, is there anything you guys want to bring up, or do we want to close out the show? Judging by the silence, we're closing out the show. Um, so. Yeah. Remember, guys, uh, The World Is Not Enough is next uh, for the Pierce Brosnan uh, James Bond. And um, remember to watch it and then come back next week and then we'll talk about it. Remember, there's always spoilers. So if you're if you didn't watch any of the movies when you're watching our shows, well, tough luck, tough titties, as back in the day would say. Uh, But if you want to catch more of uh I almost said getting some color, but Big Trouble Little Podcast or getting some color uh, or the Nemesis Project, you can go on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Alexa, um, and all the other pods out there. Um, I don't know. Is there other things? Probably. If you type in mm-hmm. the name, we're probably there. We're on Amazon Music, for God's sake. So, anyway. You act like that's some obscure thing every week. Every week. <laughs> we're on Amazon. Can you believe it? It's fucking Amazon. Yes. <laughs> I'm just trying to put it over, brother. Uh, but anyway, we'll see you guys next week. Thank you for stopping by. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. <laughs>